Thank you for checking out our sermon here at Hope Church. We are currently in our series, State of the Union. And we're excited that you came across this message and are tuning in. We just wanna make you aware of a couple things before we get to the sermon. First, we'd love to connect with you. You can follow us on our social networks by searching at Hope Church LV. Also, be sure to check out our website, hopechurchonline.com. There, you can find out more information about who we are and where we're headed as a church. Once again, thanks for checking out our sermon here at Hope Church. Please let us know if there's any questions you have or any way we can come alongside you and your family. Enjoy the message. We are in the middle of a series together that we have simply called State of the Union. When culture and the gospel intersect. We have been trying for several weekends to establish a biblical worldview surrounding some issues that our culture is walking through together, and in particular in light of our church being the multicultural fellowship that it is, we wanted to establish just some biblical principles, a biblical worldview to give us a biblical filter. We've all got to face the stuff that's happening in culture. It's out there. But how do we filter that into our lives? And we want to let the Word of God be that predominant filter. And so we began in week one by laying down what was the, it's the, what we call the foundational truth. It's the preeminent biblical filter for us to have if we're going to walk through this together. I'm going to put it back up on the screen again. I'm going to make you read it again. I'm going to make you read it till, till you never forget it because this is so important. Let's look at it. Above all else, who I am is who I am in Christ. Amen. Listen, that was as, that's as true today as it was last weekend before the election. It's still true. Above all else, who I am is who I am in Christ. Today, above all else, I am not someone who won or lost an election. One of the reasons that so many people on both sides, those rejoicing and celebrating And those that are hurting and experiencing fear and anxiety, one of the reasons that the emotional expression and experience is so dramatic is because too many people had their identity wrapped up in an election. They had their identity wrapped up in in something that was going to happen in the arena of politics. But if we understand this biblical filter, above all else, who I am is who I am in Christ. That means this. Whether you were on the winning side or the losing side Tuesday... This did not change. It didn't change. Who I am is who I am in Christ. Above all else, I'm not Republican, Democrat, or Independent. Above all else, I'm not an American. Above all else, I'm not white, black, Asian, or Hispanic. Above all else, who I am is who I am in Christ. Now this week... We saw some of the best and some of the worst of our nation, right? We saw the end, praise God, of an 18-month-long, divisive, emotionally draining campaign that I think all of us agree today, we pray to God, we never have to experience anything like that again. I think every person running for political office should be forced to sit down and watch all of that on the news 
before the next election cycle begins. So somehow pray that, that through some of their thick skulls they will understand that is not the way to conduct ourselves as adults in a political campaign in what is supposed to be arguably the greatest nation on planet earth. So we saw some of the worst, but we also saw some of the best of our nation. And here's what I mean by that. You saw current President Barack Obama and President-elect Donald Trump sit down for 90 minutes in the White House in a peaceful, respectful conversation about beginning the transition of government in the most powerful nation on planet Earth. And I want you to understand something. That is not just unique. That is unprecedented in the history of the world to see a nation as divided as we are, yet at the end of the day, two men sit down and there's a peaceful transition of power. We don't need to take that for granted in the United States of America. In a lot of places, for there be, to be in the, in the world, for there to be that kind of division, for there to be that kind of hostility, in order for transition of power to take place in many parts of the world, there's blood spilled. And yet in the United States of America, even though there was an election cycle that none of us appreciate and all of us see as despicable in the rhetoric on both sides, at the end of the day, our nation still rose to the top And there's a transition of power that is peaceful and unprecedented in the history of the world. And as Americans, all of us should be thankful to live in a nation like that. We should be grateful to live in a nation like that. But regardless of whether you saw yourself this week as someone who won or lost, there is now an important question. The question now that we want to deal with this weekend is how do I relate to governing authorities in my life? How do I relate to governing authorities? As a follower of Jesus, how am I to relate to those that are placed in governing authority over me? Now, before we jump into that, I want to remind you of a biblical filter that I gave you about three weeks ago. Here it is. The security of my future rests in the sovereignty of God, not the governance of man. Amen? Some today feel like last Tuesday you won. But you can't, thinking that you won, believe that now the security of your future rests in the governance of man. Some of you last week, some of us on either side of the aisle, some believed that they lost. So some in our fellowship believe they won, some in our fellowship believe they lost. But get this, neither on either side can we put the security of our future in the governance of man, right? So here's what I want you to see. Regardless of where you fall on the political spectrum, the biblical principle is still true. Win or lose, the candidate that you voted for or didn't vote for or maybe the one that you didn't vote at all about, win or lose, the security of my future 
does not rest in the governance of man. It rests in the sovereignty of God. And here's what I want you to hear me say today. God is in control and we can trust him. No matter where you find yourself today, God is in control and we can trust him. But here's another biblical filter I want us to unpack this weekend. God in his sovereignty has established the principle of governing authority. God in his sovereignty has established the principle of governing authority. I want to read it to you in the Bible, okay? I don't want you to take my word for it because I put it on the screen. I want you to hear it in the Bible. Romans chapter 13, beginning in verse 1. Listen to what the Bible says. Every person is to be in subjection to governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God, and those which exist are established by God. Let that sink in. Verse 2. Therefore, whoever resists authority has opposed the ordinance of God. And they who have opposed will receive condemnation upon themselves. For rulers are not a cause of fear for good behavior, but for evil. Do you want to have no fear of authority? Do what is good, and you will have praise for the same. For it is a minister of God. He's talking about governing authority. Listen to this verbiage. It is a minister of God. I didn't write this this morning. God wrote this. It's his book. Governing authority is a minister of God. It was designed by God to be a minister of God to you for good. But if you do what is evil, be afraid, for it does not bear the sword for nothing. For it is a minister of God. He said it again, just in case we missed it the first time. Or It's a minister of God, an avenger who brings wrath on the one who practices evil. Therefore, it is necessary to be in subjection, not only because of wrath, but also for conscience sake. For because of this, you also pay taxes. You don't get a lot of amens right there, huh? For rulers are servants of God, devoting themselves to this very thing. Render to all what is due them. Tax to whom tax is due. Custom to whom custom. Fear to whom fear. Honor to whom honor. Now, normally we would take a passage of Scripture, read it, unpack it. But because this is heavy, because this is maybe new for a lot of people that have never really heard this about governing authority, I want you to see that this is not just in the Bible one time. It's in the Bible again. Turn over to 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 13. Look what it says. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether to a king as the one in authority, or to governors as sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and the praise of those who do right. Listen to the next phrase, verse 15. For such is the will of God. 
Anybody want to know the will of God for your life this morning? We just read some of it. And get this, you ain't even got to pray about it. When it's stated in the book, I don't have to pray about it. For such is the will of God, that by doing right, you may silence the ignorance of foolish men. Act as free men, and do not use your freedom as a covering for evil. And you got to understand, when he wrote this, the men he was writing to, many of them were not free. But he said, act like it anyway. Use it as, but use it as bond slaves of God. Verse 17, honor all people. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the king. So we just read Romans, which is Paul teaching. Now we've read 1 Peter, which is Peter teaching the church. So you got two of the greatest leaders of the early church writing in two separate letters the same principles about governing authority. Now, I already understand what some of us are thinking today. Well, Paul and Peter didn't understand what our government was going to be like today. Now, before we use that logic and discount what they've written for being not in our day, I want you to remember a few things. Number one, I want you to remember that Paul and Peter wrote this under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit of God who exists outside of the parameters of time, which means God can see tomorrow as clearly as He sees yesterday. To somehow suggest that something in the Bible is not relevant to us because they really didn't understand how things were going to be today is an insult to the eternality of God. I'll give you a second reason why we don't need to discount this passage of Scripture. Not just because of who God is, but who the government was that they were writing about. You need to understand that the government that they were writing about here... (laughs) Makes ours look like a cupcake. The government that they were writing about allowed and encouraged slavery. As a matter of fact, there were 10 million slaves in the Roman Empire. That was one-third of the population of the Roman Empire. So they are writing these verses that we just read, describing the will of God, to a context where one-third of the people, which many of them had become believers, so one-third of the church that was hearing this was living under the confines of slavery. Also in this government that they were writing about, the government rested, the government power rested in the hands of absolute Rulers, meaning that all the powers of state in many instances rested in the power or in the hand of one person. The Caesars of Rome called themselves kurios. It's the Greek word translated Lord. It's the same word that's used of Jesus, the Lord Jesus Christ. The Caesars of Rome saw themselves as gods and demanded in many instances that the people of Rome worship them as a god. 
That's the government that they're writing about. Third thing about this government. The government that they were writing about in in the first century endorsed extortion through taxes. The government took what they called tax collectors, and these tax collectors would sell themselves to Rome, and in doing so, they got a license to collect taxes. And they were allowed by Roman law to collect four to six times above that which the actual tax was for personal profit. Tell you a fourth thing about the government they were writing about. The government in the first century persecuted minorities by race, class, and culture. The worst of which was its persecution of a class of people called Christians. The first century government did not tolerate religious liberty. They took Christians and they encased them in wax... And they hung them on a stake and they burned them at night to light Nero's gardens. They were crucified. They were thrown to wild beasts. The One writer, John MacArthur, said this, Though official persecution apparently was confined to the vicinity of Rome, attacks on Christians undoubtedly spread unchecked by authorities to the entire Roman Empire. So before we read these verses and think, well, they just didn't understand how bad we were going to have it, we need to remember the context into which these verses were written. The context into which these verses were written describe a governing structure that was infinitely more corrupt, infinitely more prejudiced, infinitely more out of balance than anything we experience on our worst day in the United States of America. If you think we're shocked hearing these verses, some of the people that were hearing these verses in its original context had snuck their way to the church service to hear this in fear of being killed for their faith by the government. And they show up at church and they have the audacity to read this. So let me, let me ask a few questions out of these verses, and we'll, we'll wrap this up today. Here's the first one. What is governing authority? What is it? Well, Paul tells us a couple of things about governing authority in these verses. He tells us it's in chapter 13 of the book of Romans. He says it's established by God, meaning that it was God's idea. God established the principle of government. Here's what that means. My attitude towards government in principle is really a reflection of my attitude towards God and His infinite wisdom. God established government. Now, that doesn't mean that all government is godly, obviously. God established the principle of governing authority. Think about it like this. God also established the principle of parental authority. God established the order of the family. He gave parents to raise children. Now, that doesn't mean all parents are godly parents. It doesn't mean all parents are good parents. It doesn't mean all parents do the job as they should do it. But as a society, we're not going to kick parenting to the curb 
because there's some bad examples. God in His infinite wisdom gave us parental authority for the success, blessing, and well-being of society. In the same way, God gave us governing authority to bless, protect, and prosper society. So God gave it. It was His idea. And He gave it to serve for good by executing justice. He uses a word here in Romans 13. It's an interesting word. He says that government was given as an avenger. Avenger. That doesn't mean Iron Man and Captain America, all right? Although, for the record, I'm Team Iron Man, but take that for what it's worth. An avenger in the New Testament, in the Greek language, is a word that literally means one who executes right and justice by punishing evil and bringing about what is good. It pertains to justice, rectifying wrong done to another. By God's design, He gave government to serve people, to punish those who break the law, and to protect and defend those who abide by the law. That's what government is. So let me give you a biblical definition of governing authority that I want to put up here on the screen. Here it is. It's those people and or institutions in society established by God to serve for good by executing justice. So when I use the term today, governing authority, here's what I'm talking about. Those people and or institutions in society that are established by God to serve for good by executing justice. Let me give you some examples of what we're talking about. In our country, the way our government is set up, we have governing authorities at the federal, state, and local level. In our federal government, we have governing authorities. For example, our president, our Congress, Our Supreme Court are three examples of governing authorities. Our executive, legislative, and judicial branches of government are all governing authorities in our nation. At our state level, we also have governing authorities. We We have a governor. We have a state legislature. We have courts. All of those are examples of governing authorities at the state level. Then at the local level, we have a mayor. We have a law enforcement community. We have a criminal justice community. All of that is part of governing authority. So when I use the term governing authority, it can mean everything from the President of the United States all the way down to our local law enforcement community. All of those are governing authorities that are placed into society, set up, designed functionally by God to serve the people for good, By executing justice. And the point is this. As you and I live our lives, we will both directly and indirectly interact with governing authority. If this makes sense, say amen. All right, let's move to the second question. How am I supposed to relate to this? How do I, as a follower of Jesus, relate to governing authority? Well, let me answer that question by giving you four key words. As you read all of the passages in the New Testament that describe the way we're to relate to governing authority, there are four words that really, I think, encapsulate how you and I as followers of Jesus are to relate to our governing authorities at federal, state, and local levels. Here's the first word. Pray. 
Say that word out loud. Now, I don't want you to answer out loud, but I want you to be honest. How much time do you spend praying for your federal, state, and local governing authorities? From the President of the United States all the way to local law enforcement here in our city. Do you pray for those people, those men and women? And I'm not talking about just on the National Day of Prayer. Check that off the box. That's done for the year. Let me read it to you in the Bible. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1 and 2. Look what it says. Read the first three words out loud. I'll read them one more time. You know what that means? First of all. First of all, before you do anything else. It could literally be translated above all else. More than you do anything else in this arena. Paul says, then he says, I urge. It's, it's, he's begging, he's pleading with God's people. First of all, then, I urge that entreaties and prayers, petitions and thanksgivings be made on behalf of all men. But then look what he says. For kings. You know what the king is? It's a Greek word that refers to the one who rules as the possessor of the highest office in a political realm. In the context that Paul was writing in, they had a king. In our context, we have a president. He says we're to pray before we do anything else for our kings, our presidents. And look what he says, all who are in, what's the next word? Authority. The word authority is a Greek word that refers to the state of high official rank. These are people of prominence and influence in our governing authorities. Here's what he says. We're to pray for those at the very top. And then here's what he says. We're to pray for every person in our system of government. We're to pray for them because they have influence. They have positions of prominence. And then look what he says. So that. Now, I've told you many times, whenever see you see these two little words, so that, in the New Testament, it's a Greek word that means here's the reason why. Here's why we do this. So that we may lead a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. Get this. There is a direct relationship, according to these verses, a direct relationship between praying for our governing authorities and the lives we enjoy as citizens. Maybe, maybe we're in the mess we're in because the people of God have not prayed. Makes sense because in 2 Chronicles, when he's speaking to the church about revival in the land, he said, if my people will... Humble themselves and pray. These verses draw a direct line between the peace and the tranquility that we enjoy as citizens where we live to the way that we pray for, not just the ones we like, but all those in positions of influence and authority in our culture. A.W. Tozier wrote this. 
We cannot pray in love and live in hate and still think we are worshiping God. can't do it. Listen, on either side of the aisle, we can't pray for the leaders we like that share our views and spew hate towards the ones who don't. That's not, told you so, that's not worshiping God. We can't pray in love and live in hate. I'll give you another quote by A.J. Gordon I thought was powerful. Listen to what he said. You can do more than pray after you've prayed, but you cannot do more than pray until you've prayed. If believers spend as much time praying for government leaders as we did complaining about and criticizing government leaders, I am convinced our country and the lives we live within it would be different. Based on 1 Timothy chapter 2. Pray. Say that word out loud. Pray. Here's the second word. You ready for this one? I'll let you say it. We don't like that word in America. It's not a very American word. But it is a very Christian word. And if who I am is who I am in Christ, meaning I'm a Christian before I'm an American then submit needs to become a part of my vocabulary. Tell you something interesting. Every text in the New Testament, I challenge you, you go study it. Every text in the New Testament that addresses our relationship to government includes the word submit. Every one of them. Romans, 1 Peter, Titus. Everywhere you read about our relationship to governing authorities, the word submit is used. The word submit or subjection as it's used in Romans 13 is a word that means to willingly place oneself under the authority of another. Here's what it means. Understanding that governing authorities are God's design, I am to willingly place myself under their authority and obey the laws of my country, my state, my county, and my city, as long as governing authorities do not contradict the Bible, to disobey government authority is to disobey God. I want you to hear that again. As long as what governing authority is asking me to do is not contrary to the Word of God, to disobey governing authority is to disobey God. That's why Peter, when he was writing, said, For such is the will of God for you. I have maybe the the single biggest question I get from people in one-on-one situations where they're wanting some input. They're, Pastor, would you help me know, how do I know God's will in this area? How do I know God's will in this area? How do I know what God wants for me to do in this area? How do I know when it comes to this decision, what's God's will? Listen, there are things and areas in our lives where we need to pray, we need to take collectively Scripture, we need to get counsel, and we need to discern the will of God. Then there are other times where the Bible says, this is the will of God. 
Like in 1 Thessalonians, it says, This is the will of God, that you abstain from sexual immorality. You don't have to pray about that. Lord, is this your will for me? No. Here's the will of God. Abstain from sexual immorality. In the Bible, in 1 Peter, it says, Be in subjection, subject yourselves to governing authority. This is the will of God. You know why I think he said it that way? Because there were some people out there going, I don't know. No, 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 no. Let me just clear it up. This is the will of God. The principle of biblical authority, uh, biblical authority is that God gave us authority to protect and guide us. When I submit to biblical authority, I'm not submitting to them. I'm submitting to Him. Here's what that means. Take it with, with my children, okay? I have children. My wife and I are the authorities that God's placed in their lives. They submit to God by submitting to us as parents. Does that mean we're always right? No. Does that mean we always know what's best? No. But God said to children, obey your parents, submit to your parents, for this is right. It's another way of saying this is the will of God for you. It's right. Submit to them. You say, well, what if, what if my parents are wrong? You trust God to change them. You see, here's what you're saying. When you submit to your parents as children, you're saying, God, I believe you are infinitely bigger than my parents. And if what they're telling me is not right, then, God, you'll change them. Unless what they're telling me violates something in Scripture that he's already told me. Same principle is true with governing authority. As I submit to governing authority, you know what I'm really saying? God, I believe what you said in Proverbs is true. The king's heart is like channels of water in the hands of the Lord. He turns it wherever he wishes. God, I'm going to submit to governing authority unless it violates clearly your word. God, when I like it, when I don't like it, I'm going to submit to governing authority, trusting God that you know what's best. You establish government. And God, by submitting to them, I'm submitting to you. And God, I'm going to talk to you about them. By honoring the first principle, which is pray. And I'm going to trust God that you'll change them as they need to be changed. And here's the principle of authority. Think about it like an umbrella. As long as you're standing under an umbrella when it's storming, guess what happens? You are protected from the elements. But when you step out from under the umbrella, now you're on your own, right? God's principles of authority are like umbrellas. As long as you as a child submit to your parents, you're under the umbrella of God's authority. Meaning this, God will protect you. God will bless you. God will. But when you step out from under that umbrella, you're on your own. As long as we live in submission to our governing authorities, God will protect us. God will bless us. But as soon as we step out from under that umbrella, guess what? We're on our own. We're to submit. I'll give you a third word. Honor. Honor. 
Submit is different than honor. Look at the verses in 1 Peter again, chapter 2. Submit yourselves to the, for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether to a king as one in authority or to governors as sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and the praise of those who do right. Honor all people. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the king. In Romans 13, he said, Honor to whom honor is due. The word honor describes a continuous action of esteeming and honoring the office as an authority established by God. Hear this. We hear this a lot in our culture about honoring the office. Honoring the office is not an act of patriotism. Honoring the office is an act of Christ-likeness. The Bible says we are to constantly honor the positions of governing authority. And on both sides of the aisle, I think this is where Christians do the greatest harm. Because I think Christians, when it's your party or your person in leadership, oh, we're all rosy and we love Romans 13, but when it's not your person in leadership, on either side, we can spew venom that is wicked and ungodly I've seen it in the past presidency. I'm already seeing it in the presidency that is to come, and they're from two polar different sides. And yet within the church, you're seeing this principle of not honoring. Honoring the office is not an act of patriotism. Honoring the office is a matter of Christ's likeness and following the Word of God. He says we're to honor. Now, honor speaks to attitude. Where submit speaks to action. Every parent knows the difference. Take the garbage out. Well, I'll do it. But I don't like it. That's submitting. But it's not honoring. As Christians, our response to governing authority from the president all the way to local law enforcement in Las Vegas, we're not to just submit. We're to honor. We're to have an attitude of honoring. Give you the fourth word. Influence. Influence. We're to pray. We're to submit. We're to honor. But when it comes to governing authorities, we're also to be an influence. Let me read it to you. Titus chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. Look what it says. Remind them to subject. There it is again, right? Everywhere he talks about this. Subject. Remind them. Why? Because they forget. Remind them to be subject to rulers, to authorities, to be obedient. But then look what he says. To be ready for every good deed. It means that within the context of submitting and honoring, I'm to live my life looking for the opportunity to be an influencer for that which is good. Yes, I'm to be submissive. Yes, I'm to honor. But at the same time, I'm within the context of that principle, I'm to look for opportunities where I can influence my governing authorities for good. This statement 
about being ready for every good deed is made in the context of my civic responsibilities. He's talking about submitting to and honoring government. And then he says, hey, in the context of that, be ready for every good deed. He's not just talking about benevolence. He's talking about in the arena of of civil involvement. You and I are to be ready. We're to look for opportunities to influence for good. We're to do it by volunteering, by serving By running for political office, by voting, by campaigning, by writing letters to leaders, by letting our voice be heard. All of that, yes, you and I, within the context, honoring and submitting does not mean we cannot be agents of change within our culture and participate in our civic responsibility of influencing our government for good. We have a biblical responsibility to submit and to honor and to pray for, while at the same time, we're to look for opportunities through volunteering, through serving, for campaigning, for running for office, by letting our voice be heard to engage in doing good and influence influencing our government for good. Here's the key. As we seek to do this, we must influence our culture remembering that we are not first Republicans, Democrats, or Independents, but followers of Jesus. And our involvement must not be driven by the values of a party, but by the absolute truth of God as revealed in the Bible. That's what we're to be as Christians. But in influencing... In looking for opportunities to do this, let me give us a couple of cautions. Here's the first one. We need to do so with the right spirit. Look at this. Go back to the verse. Look what he says. Be ready for every good deed. He says, in the context of submitting to and honoring governing authorities, look for opportunities to influence for good. But then he gives us some character qualities about what our influence is supposed to look like. Get this. Here's the first one. Malign no one. That phrase malign means to attack or hurt the reputation of another with words. That would change politics in America. All these political ads been running on TV. Listen, I thank God the election's over just to get that off television. And it's crazy when you see these ads. It's like, and this is paid for by left-handed people who sit leaning on their right side, only driving on the left side of the road. And it's like, what in the world are they talking about? Who paid for this stuff? The Bible says as we seek to influence our governing authorities for good, we're to do so in such a way that with our character, we don't slander anyone's character. We don't attack anyone's reputation with our words. We're not speaking evil of anybody else. That's not how we as followers of Jesus are called to engage in the process. And when we do, it is a violation of the Word of God on either side. Number two, he says we're to be (laughs) peaceable. It's a compound Greek word. Here are the two words, without battle. You put it together, we get the word peaceable. Here's what it means. I'm to do this not looking for a fight. This would change politics. 
I'm to seek to be an influencer of good, but I'm not to attack anybody's character. I'm not to slander their reputation. And I'm not to be looking for a fight. And there's a bunch of people on social media, all we're doing is looking for a fight. Get a life. Go outside. Run around the neighborhood. Let some energy out. Then look what he said. Be gentle. That defines American politics, right? Gentle. It means appropriate, fitting, proper, unassertive. Here's what gentleness means. Always giving others the benefit of the doubt. Here's a fourth characteristic of how we're to engage. Showing consideration to everyone. It means demonstrating genuine concern for the people affected. Some in the room this week feel like you won. Some in the room feel like you lost. You know what those who feel like you won need to do? Show genuine concern for the people that feel like they've been affected by the loss. The feelings and emotions are real. And a lot of them are rooted in in an emotional experience from the past. We shouldn't negate that. We shouldn't downplay that. We should show consideration to everyone involved. Why? Because that's how we're to be influencing our government for good. So we need to be careful that we do it with the right spirit. We need to also be careful that we don't forget our real mission. You see, our mission is not to get politicians elected. Our mission is to expand the kingdom of God. And if we're not careful, we become more passionate about the laws that govern this life than we are about preparing men and women for the life that is to come. Our mission is not to go into all the world and legislate. Our mission is to go into all the world and preach the gospel. And I am convinced that if we as the church were as passionate about the church being the church as we are the church being a voting block, we could accomplish our real mission. We can't forget our real mission. We can't get distracted with politics. So how do we relate? Pray, submit, honor, influence. Last question, we're done. What do I do when governing authority conflicts with the authority of God. Hey, it's happened. (laughs) Throughout biblical history, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, Daniel, Peter and John, Paul, Silas. What did they say? We must obey God rather than men. What do I do when the authority that's in government conflicts with the authority of God? You do two things. Number one, you humbly choose to submit to a higher authority. That's what the biblical pattern is. We humbly submit to choose to a hot to submit to a higher authority. God's word is the ultimate authority. But I want you to notice this as you study it in scripture. They were never militant or aggressive. They were clear that there was an authority that was higher than government, but not militant or aggressive. They were humble. They were honoring, but they chose to submit to a higher authority. And secondly, In the scripture, they were always graciously willing to accept whatever the consequences for that stance might be. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said, we believe our God will save us. 
But even if he does not. But even if he does not. So there's our response to government. We pray. We submit. We honor. We seek to influence. From the highest office in the land, the office of president, all the way to our local mayor, law enforcement, criminal justice system, those same principles apply. So here's the way we're going to close our service this morning. We're going to take a moment and we're going to pray. We're going to pray. I'm going to ask some of our pastors to come here to the front. Normally we would end our service by standing and singing a song of worship. We're not going to do that today. We're going to pray and then we're going to baptize a few people. But I want us to begin to go into a season of prayer right now. And if you're here today and you don't know Jesus, you've never come to to know the person of Jesus Christ and experience the life-changing power of the gospel, while we're having this time of prayer, you can come to one of these pastors that are here and say, I need Jesus. And they'll have somebody sit down with you and open a Bible and show you how you can become a follower of Jesus. Or if you're here today and you want one of these pastors to pray with you or for you about something going on in your life, your job, your health, your family, a relationship, whatever it is, these pastors are here. You come to them at any moment while I'm leading us in this prayer time, and they'll be honored to pray for you. But for the rest of us right now, I want us to go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we want to come before you right now, and we want to begin to practice what we talked about this morning. We're going to take a moment, and we're going to pray for those that are in governing authority. And if you're here and you're one of those that's going to be baptized, you can go ahead and make your way to get ready to be baptized. You go right ahead. I want you to, first of all, pray for our current president and his wife, Barack and Michelle Obama. I want you to pray for them by name. I want you to lift them to the Lord and ask God to give them wisdom as they bring this term of leadership to a close. As they transition to the next president, pray for Barack and Michelle Obama. Thank God for them. With that, I want you to pray for Joe and Jill Biden, the vice president of our United States of America. I want you to pray for them. Thank God for them. Thank God for the service that they've given to our nation. Regardless of whether you agree or disagree with the leadership of the last eight years, every day for eight years, they've woken up in America and served our nation. So thank God for them. Pray for them. You can see physically the stress that it is on a president by what they look like when they enter office and when they come out of office. It's a weight. Pray for them. I want you to pray for President-elect Donald Trump and his wife, Melania. And I want you to pray for Vice President-elect Mike Pence and his wife, Karen. Pray for them by name. Thank God for them. Ask God to give them wisdom. Ask God to let them listen and learn from those that are leaving the office. Because again, agree or disagree, there's a ton of wisdom that one leadership team can pass on to the next leadership team. You don't sit in that office for eight years and not learn some things about governing and how it works. So pray for our new president and vice president to learn and to listen. Pray for a peaceful transition.
want you to pray for our cabinet in the United States of America. Pray for the current cabinet. Thank God for them and their service. I want you to pray for the transition team that's putting together the new cabinet for the new administration. Pray on both sides. Pray with a sense of gratitude. I want you to pray for the Supreme Court of the United States, Chief Justice John Roberts and those others that are serving on the court. Pray for our country as we replace a justice that died this past year. Pray that God would give that court wisdom as they make decisions. to pray for the Congress, the Senate, and the House of Representatives. Pray that this election season has exposed the ugliness of where we are as a nation and that men and women would choose to put aside partisan differences and work together for the good of our country across the aisle. Pray for wisdom and discernment and understanding. I want you to pray for our two new senators, Dean Heller and Catherine Cortez Masto. Pray for these two that will serve in the Senate representing Nevada. I want you to pray for our House of Representatives, Nevadans, Dina Titus, Mark Amadai, Jackie Rosen, and Reuben Kilwin. Thank God for their willingness to serve. Listen, in light of what goes on in politics today, I'm surprised anybody's willing to put their name out there. Pray for wisdom. Pray for God to guide them. Pray for our governor, Brian Sandoval. you to pray for our mayor here in Las Vegas, Carolyn Goodman, and for the mayor of Henderson, Andy Hafen. Pray for both of them, for the good of our city. Whether you live in Las Vegas or Henderson, pray for God's blessing on our city. Pray for wisdom for our local leaders. you to pray for our local law enforcement community and those involved in our criminal justice system here. We have many men and women that are in our church that love Jesus, that serve in both the law enforcement community and the criminal justice system here in our city. I want you to pray for these men and women who daily get up and lay their lives on the line. 
Pray for God's blessing, protection over them and their families. Lord, today is your people, we pray. And God, I pray that this would not be a unique occurrence, but I pray it would be the normal rhythm of our lives to pray for all of these men and women by name, to lift them before the Lord. And God, I pray that you'd raise up Hope Church to be a church that engages, to be an influencer for the good of our community and for the kingdom of God to be expanded. And I pray we do it with the right spirit and understanding our right mission. But God, may we be used as a multicultural fellowship to show our city what it can look like. Lord, thank you for speaking to us today. We love you, Jesus. It's in your precious name we pray. And all of us say together, amen.